Question 114, Part 1 of Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on Grace, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 114. Of Merit. In Ten Articles. Part 1. Articles 1 through 5. We must now consider merit, which is the effect of cooperating grace. And under this head there are ten points of inquiry. First, whether a man can merit anything from God. Second, whether without grace anyone can merit eternal life. Third, whether anyone with grace may merit eternal life condignly. Fourth, whether it is chiefly through the instrumentality of charity that grace is the principle of merit. Fifth, whether a man may merit the first grace for himself. Sixth, whether he may merit it for someone else. Seventh, whether anyone can merit restoration after sin. Eighth, whether he can merit for himself an increase of grace or charity. Ninth, whether he can merit final perseverance. Tenth, whether temporal goods fall under merit. First article, whether a man may merit anything from God. Objection 1. It would seem that a man can merit nothing from God. For no one, it would seem, merits by giving another his due. But by all the good we do, we cannot make sufficient return to God, since yet more is his due, as also the philosopher says in Ethics 8.14. Hence it is written in Luke 17.10, When you have done all these things that are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which we ought to do. Therefore, a man can merit nothing from God. Objection to. Further, it would seem that a man merits nothing from God, but what profits himself only, and profits God nothing. Now by acting well, a man profits himself or another man, but not God. For it is written in Job 35.7, If thou do justly, what shalt thou give him, or what shall he receive of thy hand? Hence, a man can merit nothing from God. Objection 3. Further, whoever merits anything from another makes him his debtor, for a man's wage is a debt due to him. Now God is no one's debtor. Hence it is written in Romans 11.35, Who hath first given to him, and recompense shall be made to him. Hence no one can merit anything from God. On the contrary, it is written in Jeremiah 31.16, There is a reward for thy work. 
Now a reward means something bestowed by reason of merit. Hence it would seem that a man may merit from God. I answer that merit and reward refer to the same. For a reward means something given anyone in return for work or toil as a price for it. Hence, as it is an act of justice to give a just price for anything received from another, so also is it an act of justice to make a return for work or toil. Now justice is a kind of equality, as is clear from the philosopher in Ethics 5.3, and hence justice is simply between those that are simply equal. But where there is no absolute equality between them, neither is there absolute justice, but there may be a certain manner of justice as when we speak of a father's or a master's right, as the philosopher says in Ethics 5.6. And hence, when there is justice simply, there is the character of merit and reward simply. But when there is no simple right, but only relative, there is no character of merit simply, but only relatively, insofar as the character of justice is found there, since the child merits something from his father and the slave from his lord. Now it is clear that between God and man there is the greatest inequality, for they are infinitely apart, and all man's good is from God. Hence there can be no justice of absolute equality between man and God, but only of a certain proportion, inasmuch as both operate after their own manner. Now the manner and measure of human virtue is in man from God. Hence man's merit with God only exists on the presupposition of the divine ordination, so that man obtains from God as a reward of his operation what God gave him the power of operation for, even as natural things by their proper movements and operations obtain that to which they were ordained by God. Differently, indeed, since the rational creature moves itself to act by its free will, hence its action has the character of merit which is not so in other creatures. Reply to Objection 1. Man merits, inasmuch as he does what he ought, by his free will. Otherwise the act of justice whereby anyone discharges a debt would not be meritorious. Reply to Objection 2. God seeks from our goods not profit, but glory, that is, the manifestation of his goodness, even as he seeks it also in his own works. Now nothing accrues to him, but only to ourselves, by our worship of him. Hence we merit from God, not that by our works anything accrues to him, but inasmuch as we work for his glory. Reply to Objection 3. Since our action has the character of merit, only on the presupposition of the divine ordination, it does not follow that God has made our debtor simply, but his own, inasmuch as it is his right that his will should be carried out. Second article. Whether anyone without grace 
can merit eternal life. Objection 1. It would seem that without grace anyone can merit eternal life. For man merits from God what he is divinely ordained to, as stated above in Article 1. Now man, by his nature, is ordained to beatitude as his end. Hence, too, he naturally wishes to be blessed. Hence man, by his natural endowments, and without grace, can merit beatitude, which is eternal life. Objection to, further, the less a work is due, the more meritorious it is. Now, less due is that work which is done by one who has received fewer benefits. Hence, since he who has only natural endowments has received fewer gifts from God than he who has gratuitous gifts as well as nature, it would seem that his works are more meritorious with God. And thus, if he who has grace can merit eternal life to some extent, much more may he who has no grace. Objection 3. Further, God's mercy and liberality infinitely surpass human mercy and liberality. Now a man may merit from another, even though he has not hitherto had his grace. Much more, therefore, would it seem that a man without grace may merit eternal life. On the contrary, the Apostle says in Romans 6.23, The grace of God, life everlasting. I answer that, man without grace may be looked at in two states, as was said above in question 109, article 2. The first a state of perfect nature in which Adam was before his sin. The second, a state of corrupt nature in which we are before being restored by grace. Therefore, if we speak of man in the first state, there is only one reason why man cannot merit eternal life without grace, by his purely natural endowments, notably because man's merit depends on the divine preordination. Now no act of anything whatsoever is divinely ordained to anything exceeding the proportion of the powers which are the principles of its act. For it is a law of divine providence that nothing shall act beyond its powers. Now everlasting life is a good exceeding the proportion of created nature since it exceeds its knowledge and desire, according to 1 Corinthians 2.9, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man. And hence it is that no created nature is a sufficient principle of an act meritorious of eternal life, unless there is added a supernatural gift, which we call grace. But if we speak of a man as existing in sin, a second reason is added to this, notably the impediment of sin. For since sin is an offense against God, excluding us from eternal life, as is clear from what has been said above, in question 71, article 6, as well as in question 113, article 2, no one existing in a state of mortal sin can merit eternal life 
unless he be first reconciled to God, through his sin being forgiven, which is brought about by grace. For the sinner deserves not life, but death, according to Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Reply to Objection 1. God ordained human nature to attain the end of eternal life, not by its own strength, but by the help of grace, and in this way its act can be meritorious of eternal life. Reply to Objection 2. Without grace, a man cannot have a work equal to a work proceeding from grace, since the more perfect the principle, the more perfect the action. But the objection would hold good if we supposed the operations equal in both cases. Reply to Objection 3. With regard to the first reason adduced, the case is different in God and in man. For a man receives all his power of well-doing from God and not from man. Hence a man can merit nothing from God except by his gift, which the Apostle expresses aptly saying, in Romans 11.35, Who hath first given to him, and recompense shall be made to him. But man may merit from man before he has received anything from him by what he has received from God. But as regards the second proof taken from the impediment of sin, the case is similar with man and God, since one man cannot merit from another whom he has offended unless he makes satisfaction to him and is reconciled. Third article. Whether a man in grace can merit eternal life condignly. Objection 1. It would seem that a man in grace cannot merit eternal life condignly. For the Apostle says in Romans 8.18, The sufferings of this time are not worthy, condigne, to be compared with the glory to come, that shall be revealed in us. But of all meritorious works, the suffering of the saints would seem to be the most meritorious. Therefore, no works of men are meritorious of eternal life condignly. Objection to, further, on Romans 6.23, The grace of God, life everlasting, a gloss says, He might have truly said, The wages of justice, life everlasting. But he preferred to say, The grace of God, life everlasting that we may know that God leads us to life everlasting of his own mercy and not by our merits. Now when anyone merits something condignly, he receives it not from mercy, but from merit. Hence it would seem that a man with grace cannot merit life everlasting condignly. Objection 3. Further, Merit that equals the reward would seem to be condign. Now no act of the present life can equal everlasting life, which surpasses our knowledge and our desire, and moreover surpasses the charity or love of the wayfarer, 
even as it exceeds nature. Therefore, with grace a man cannot merit eternal life condignly. On the contrary, what is granted in accordance with a fair judgment would seem a condign reward. But life everlasting is granted by God in accordance with the judgment of justice, according to 2 Timothy 4.8. As to the rest, there is laid up for me a crown of justice, which the Lord, the just judge, will render to me in that day. Therefore, man merits everlasting life condignly. I answer that man's meritorious work may be considered in two ways. First, as it proceeds from free will. Secondly, as it proceeds from the grace of the Holy Ghost. If it is considered as regards the substance of the work, and inasmuch as it springs up from the free will, there can be no condignity because of the very great inequality. But if there is congruity on account of an equality of proportion, for it would seem congruous that if a man does what he can, God should reward him according to the excellence of his power. If, however, we speak of a meritorious work, inasmuch as it proceeds from the grace of the Holy Ghost moving us to life everlasting, it is meritorious of life everlasting condignly. For thus the value of its merit depends upon the power of the Holy Ghost moving us to life everlasting, according to John 4.14. Shall become in him a fount of water springing up into life everlasting. And the worth of the work depends on the dignity of grace, whereby a man, being made a partaker of the divine nature, is adopted as a son of God, to whom the inheritance is due by right of adoption, according to Romans 8.17. If sons, heirs also. Reply to Objection 1. The Apostle is speaking of the substance of these sufferings. Reply to Objection 2. This saying is to be understood of the first cause of our reaching everlasting life, notably, God's mercy. But our merit is a subsequent cause. Reply to Objection 3. The grace of the Holy Ghost, which we have at present, although unequal to glory in act, is equal to it virtually as the seed of a tree, wherein the whole tree is virtually. So likewise, by grace of the Holy Ghost, dwells in man. And he is a sufficient cause of life everlasting. Hence, in Second Corinthians one twenty-two, he is called the pledge of our inheritance. Fourth article. Whether grace is the principle of merit, through charity rather than the other virtues. Objection 1. It would seem that grace is not the principle of merit through charity rather than the other virtues. For wages are due to work, according to Matthew 20, verse 8, Call the laborers and pay them their hire. 
now every virtue is a principle of some operation since virtue is an operative habit as stated above in question fifty five article two hence every virtue is equally a principle of merit objection to further the apostle says in first corinthians three eight every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor now charity lessens rather than increases the labor because as augustine says in his homily seventy love makes all hard and repulsive tasks easy and next to nothing hence charity is no greater principle of merit than any other virtue objection three further the greatest principle of merit would seem to be the one whose acts are most meritorious but the acts of faith and patience or fortitude would seem to be the most meritorious as appears in the martyrs who strove for the faith patiently and bravely even till death hence other virtues are a greater principle of merit than charity on the contrary our lord said in john fourteen twenty one he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and i will love him and will manifest myself to him now everlasting life consists in the manifest knowledge of god according to john seventeen three this is eternal life that they may know thee the only true and living god hence the merit of eternal life rests chiefly with charity i answer that as we may gather from what has been stated above in article one human acts have the nature of merit from two causes first and chiefly from the divine ordination inasmuch as acts are said to merit that good to which man is divinely ordained secondly on the part of free will inasmuch as man more than other creatures has the power of voluntary acts by acting by himself and in both these ways does merit chiefly rest with charity for we must bear in mind that everlasting life consists in the enjoyment of god now the human mind's movement to the fruition of the divine good is the proper act of charity whereby all the acts of the other virtues are ordained to this end since all the other virtues are commanded by charity hence the merit of life everlasting pertains first to charity and secondly to the other virtues inasmuch as their acts are commanded by charity so likewise is it manifest that what we do out of love we do most willingly hence even inasmuch as merit depends on voluntariness merit is chiefly attributed to charity reply to objection one charity inasmuch as it has the last end for object moves the other virtues to act for the habit to which the end pertains always commands the habits to which the means pertain as was said above in question nine article one reply to objection two 
a work can be toilsome and difficult in two ways first from the greatness of the work and thus the greatness of the work pertains to the increase of merit and thus charity does not lessen the toil rather it makes us undertake the greatest toils for it does great things if it exists as gregory says in his homily number thirty on the gospel secondly from the defect of the operator for what is not done with a ready will is hard and difficult to all of us and this toil lessens merit and is removed by charity reply to objection three the act of faith is not meritorious unless faith worketh by charity according to galatians five six so too the acts of patience and fortitude are not meritorious unless a man does them out of charity according to first corinthians thirteen three if i should deliver my body to be burned and have not charity it profiteth me nothing fifth article whether a man may merit for himself the first grace objection one it would seem that a man may merit for himself the first grace because as augustine says in his letter one hundred and eighty six faith merits justification now a man is justified by the first grace therefore a man may merit the first grace objection to further god gives grace only to the worthy now no one is said to be worthy of some good unless he has merited it condignly therefore we may merit the first grace condignly objection three further with men we may merit a gift already received thus if a man receives a horse from his master he merits it by a good use of it in his master's service now god is much more bountiful than man much more therefore may a man by subsequent works merit the first grace already received from god on the contrary the nature of grace is repugnant to reward of works according to romans four four now to him that worketh the reward is not reckoned according to grace but according to debt now a man merits what is reckoned to him according to debt as the reward of his works hence a man may not merit the first grace i answer that the gift of grace may be considered in two ways first in the nature of a gratuitous gift and thus it is manifest that all merit is repugnant to grace since as the apostle says in romans eleven verse six if by grace it is not now by works secondly it may be considered as regards the nature of the thing given and thus also it cannot come under the merit of him who has not grace both because it exceeds the proportion of nature and because previous to grace a man in the state of sin 
has an obstacle to his meriting grace, notably sin. But when anyone has grace, the grace already possessed cannot come under merit, since reward is the term of the work, but grace is the principle of all our good works, as stated above in question 109. But if anyone merits a further gratuitous gift by virtue of the preceding grace, it would not be the first grace. Hence it is manifest that no one can merit for himself the first grace. Reply to Objection 1. As Augustine says in his Retractions, 123, he was deceived on this point for a time, believing the beginning of faith to be from us and its consummation to be granted us by God. And this he here retracts. And seemingly it is in this sense that he speaks of faith as meriting justification. But if we suppose, as indeed it is a truth of faith, that the beginning of faith is in us from God, the first act must flow from grace, and thus it cannot be meritorious of the first grace. Therefore man is justified by faith, not as though man, by believing, were to merit justification, but that he believes, whilst he is being justified. Inasmuch as a movement of faith is required for the justification of the ungodly, as stated above in question 113, article 4. Reply to objection 2. God gives grace to none but to the worthy, not that they were previously worthy, but that by his grace he makes them worthy, who alone can make him clean that is conceived of unclean seed, according to Job 14.4. Reply to Objection 3. Man's every good work proceeds from the first grace as from its principle, but not from any gift of man. Consequently, there is no comparison between gifts of grace and gifts of men. End of Question 114. Part 1. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.